Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. Drama on One is available as a podcast at rte.ie forward slash drama on one and of course here on RTE Radio One on Sunday nights. Tonight on Drama on One, Mixed Future by Arthur Sheridan. Mixed Future is the story of three generations of women and their relationship with love. We follow the stories of Pauline and Tony, Pauline's mother Monica and Pauline's daughter Emma. These three strands intertwine with hope for more than a mixed future. The play won second prize in the 2022 PJ O'Connor Awards. And just a note that the programme contains some strong language along the way. Starring Claire Dunn, Angeline Ball, Stephen Jones and Lauren Larkin. And with percussion by Robbie Harris, this is Mixed Future by Arthur Sheridan. I noticed the smell of gas. The back door was always unlocked, so I never bothered going in the front way. I thought there might be a leak. I opened the door, and there she was, lying on the floor with her head in the oven. I rushed over and turned it off and tried to drag her out, my little body trying to move her away. She started to come round, her lips a little blue. I could see both her eyes were black. I didn't know it at the time, but that meant he'd broken her nose. The blood was still on her face. I'll get an ambulance, I said. She gripped my wrist like a vice. God, she was strong when she wanted to be. Don't tell anyone, she gasped. I nodded. Promise me, she said. Promise, I promise. A fresh breeze was blowing in the back door. It blew it shut. I asked him for more money, she said. He's been complaining about the dinners. What can I do when he's pissing the money up against the wall? I know what I can do. Help me up, she said. She was heavy, small and all as she was. I suppose I was only young. Too young to be seeing and hearing this. She went to the sink and washed her face, then checked herself in the cracked mirror. What a mess, she said. Still, she sat at the table, drank a glass of water. She was quiet. Just sat there like she was thinking. After a short rest, she went to her bag and took out the little bit of makeup she had. Some lipstick and a little bit of rouge. I can still remember how particular she was. She went upstairs and put on her good blouse and headed out. We'll all eat steak tonight, she said as she left. I didn't understand at the time, but I know full well now. That'll never happen to me, I can tell you.
I met Tony when I was 19. He was a cutter in the sewing factory and I was a machinist. Not like an engineering company. I used a sewing machine. I hated it. But I was fast and the bonus was good. I wanted someone to take me away from it all. And Tony said he would. And I believed him. I remember our first time. He brought me for a meal, then plied me with vodka and orange. I didn't mind too much. I enjoyed a few vodkas. And I was game. He borrowed his mate's car and he took me up to the back of the airport. There was a lot of fumbling going on, so I gave him a hand and stripped off. He pronounced his undying love for me. And we did it. It was nothing spectacular. Not like in those Mills and Boons books. But he seemed happy and I was happy and it was warm in the car and Eric Clapton was singing Wonderful Tonight on the radio. Downey joined in. <laughs> it was nice. Three months later, I couldn't keep my cornflakes down. Every morning and every evening at tea time. My friends knew before I did. When the test was positive, I panicked. Both to England was looking good. Ma sat me down one evening. Have you anything to tell me? She asked. What? I said. You're pregnant, she said. Who told you? Who told me? Who told me? No one had to tell me. Sure, I had enough of my own. I burst out crying. Have you told him yet? No, I blubbered. You have to tell him. I can't, I said. You have to. He might surprise you. That night, I sat him down. <laughs> took a puff from his inhaler. Are you sure? He said. Yeah, I cried. He changed his tone then. You know what that means, don't you? What? I cried. He smiled at me. We'll have to get married, he said. Oh, Tony. I didn't know what to say. So I hugged him and poured tears all over his denim shirt. It was nothing fancy. Just a small room in the Parkside Hotel with family and cousins. Little Scalacci was page boy, me brother. He came a good few years after me, a late baby, me ma said. His suit was only gorgeous. <laughs> a three-piece. Tony marked it out and cut it and I sewed it up. He looked great. Mam called him Scalacci after a footballer. He knocked us out of Italian 90. Me da used to roar, taking it out on little Scalacci. He never really bonded with the kid until he went to St. Kevin's Boys at the age of seven and scored a hat-trick. After that, he was all over him. My Scalacci this and my Scalacci that. He'd be bousing down the pub. But it was always about football. If he hadn't been able to play, he wouldn't have got a look in. Scalacci lashed into the wedding cake. Tony got all Madeira. Said he didn't like fruitcake. And that suited little Scalacci. We were offered a flat in the moon. Tony was delighted. All his mates live in the flats. There was no way I was moving into the flats. I wanted a house 
and there was a corporal purchase scheme in Finglas East, and that's what I was going for. A chance to own your own house, Mark had saying. By the time you'd be my age, you'd be free. No mortgage, no rent, something to leave to the kids, set them up in life. A 15-year loan? She won't see that going in. Tony nearly shit himself when he saw the repayments. He took a double puff from his inhaler. How are we going to afford it? He said. We'll manage, I told him. We got a corner house, side entrance, big garden. I was delighted. Our footsteps echoed around the empty rooms. He was wondering how we were going to afford the furniture to fill the rooms. All we need is a bed and a table. That'll do for starters, I told him. Emma was born soon afterwards. She used to wheel her toys around the front room on the bare boards and I'd just stare at the wonder of her. She was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. With her little hands and her little ears and her cute little button nose. And when she smiled, oh. When she smiled, the whole world lit up. And she smiled a lot. <laughs> I was so happy. And... I didn't have to go to that awful sound factory. And Tony was made a supervisor. And things are working out. I used to wheel her up to Ma and we'd head down to the Botanic Gardens with Little Scalacci. Though he was taking a stretch. Wouldn't be able to call him Little Scalacci anymore soon. And he was so dark. All the kids in school were calling him the Mexican. I can't understand it. He's getting so tall, yet Da's only a little scut. Ma said it was from her side, but she's only a tiny little thing as well. I remember Mrs Porter, one of her friends and a tiny woman too, said she should go down and claim a clothing allowance for little people, that she was getting it and that my ma would qualify too. My ma was disgusted at the inference, saying she wasn't a dwarf, but she claimed it anyway. We bought ice cream and sat in the sun near the pond, it was lovely, and it was free. We didn't have a lot of money, me and Tony, so we went to the Botanic Gardens a lot, and the parks, and all the free playgrounds we could find. We didn't go on any holidays, Tony and me, so we went for days out. We loved Dolly Mount Beach. We'd walk in the sand dunes, and Emma would make sandcastles with Scalacci. A long beach in the middle of the city, and hardly a soul on it. We went into St. Anne's Park and had a cappuccino and some cake while the kids played in the sun with a puppy. Tony wanted a dog. I knew he was going to start. Where would you keep him? I said. In the house? I'm not having hairs all over my house and shit all over my garden, thank you very much. He went a bit quiet for a while. Men and their hoofs. They're like big kids. Tony loved snooker. And all his mates played on a Friday night and had a few pints. Only two pints, I told him. It was a waste of money. And I'd seen where drink had led at home. The years were flying in. And Emma was getting bigger and going out more. And I started getting restless. There was a writer's group in the community centre made up entirely of women. And as I fancied myself as a possible future female William Shakespeare, <laughs> I decided to go. Well, we had a laugh. The chat and the crack was great. 
And there was very little actual writing done. One of them had gone on a back-to-education course and was now studying to be a solicitor at college. A few more were studying for their leaving cert. What exams have you got? I was asked. I told them I left school before the junior cert. You should do your leaving, one said. The law student said I should skip the leaving and go straight to college. That I didn't need the leaving as a mature student and that she'd bring me in a list of courses the next week. I don't know, I said. I wasn't very good at school. Nonsense, she said. Neither was I and I'm top of my class in college. You'd be well able for it. Top of her class, I thought. I looked at the courses. Labour relations. What's that? Oh, it's for union officials, she said. That was interesting. Labour law and health and safety, she said. My mate in the sound factory was shop steward and I'd always been fascinated by the way she spoke up to management. I'd like to do that. I signed up for it. Mary helped me fill out the forms. I'd be getting the back to education allowance, I told Tony. So we'll have a few bob extra. But you're never going to be a union official and you'll never be here. Who's going to look after Emma? Emma's nearly grown up, Tony. She did her junior cert last year, haven't you noticed? She can look after herself. But what about me? He said. What about you? I said, sure, you'll be out at work. And who'll do the housework? He said. Oh, we'll all have to do the housework, I said. Starting now. You can cook the dinner. Well, you know, I don't know how to cook, he moaned. Men, they're bloody useless. That's what Mary always said and she was right. You're not serious about that college thing, he said. I am. Why don't you get a job if you're bored, he said. Sure, I could get you back in the sandwich factory and with your speed, oh, you'd make three times the money. It's not about the money. Though, a union official gets twice what a seamstress gets. It's about working on myself. Self-development. I wish I had some self-development. You have your mates and your snooker, don't you? I told him. What's wrong with the easy life? You could work part-time in the factory... We'd still have time to do the housework and whatever. And with the money, we could go on a cruise. How does that sound? No hard work and books and reading. You should do a bit of reading yourself. Wouldn't do you any harm, I said. Education is never a heavy burden to carry. Who told you that? One of your new educated friends, he said. I never saw him so upset. I had to laugh. He was nearly too sick or upset to get angry. Now, I did say nearly. I want to give up football, says Scalacci. He spits his tea all over the table. He nearly jokes. I nearly burst out laughing. I want to be a rapper, says Scalacci. What? He says. A rapper. What the hell is a rapper? He chokes. Scalacci starts rapping. 
He's brutal. I've heard Eminem on the radio. He never listens to the radio unless it's for football results or the horses. Anyway, I know enough to know Scalacci is no Eminem. Very good, son, I say. He nearly has a canary. I swear I think he's going to have a heart attack. Very good, she says. Very good. What the hell is that? Rapping, says Scalacci. It's not even a sport, he says. Soon you're like a wizard on the field and you want to stop for what? For what? It's music, I says. Sure, all them Italians love music. He's bloody Irish, you idiot. And that's no more music than me backside makes. It's temples are bulging. <laughs> ah, it's good to see him tortured after all the torture he's given all of us. I'm going down to meet Wacker, he says. What'll he say now, I say. That'll spoil his drinking. <laughs> Nearly takes the door off the hinges as he goes out. I am laughing inside. I can tell you, I am laughing inside. <laughs> Scalacci looks upset. Look, Scalacci, why can't you do both? God loves you to use all your talents. That's why he gave them to you. And you take after your father. Don't say that, he says. All he ever does is drink and shout and fight. Never even played a sport in his life. Don't worry, Scalacci. Someday. Someday he'll get his comeuppance. Someday. I love Wednesdays. Wednesday night is bingo night. He doesn't know I play. I didn't know a few things about him either. Agnes Porter told me, likes to drop Agnes. Told me about him down the pub, preaching the art of husbandry. Gives me a hiding every now and again. Says we like a good hiding, women. Always gets a nice dinner the next day as a thank you. Says it worked for his father and his father before him and it'll work for little Scalacci too. The rotten bastard, she says. And you with two black eyes. You should give him a plate of mushrooms. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Scalacci beat his wife. He has a lot to learn about Scalacci. He's a stupid, nasty, blind old bastard and a bully. Scalacci will never be a bully. Hasn't got a bad bone in him. I've seen him. The way he gets on with his teammates stands out from them. He's different. He reminds me of my old Uncle Albert. Never married. All the women fancied him. He was the good-looking one in the family. Never married, though. I suppose it was inevitable when Scalacci says he's something to tell me. Don't worry, Scalacci. You'll find someone in your own time. What about Da, he says. What about him, I says. He won't be too happy, says Scalacci. He looks scared. Fuck him, I says. He looks surprised. Them go and fuck off the prick. Scalacci looks shocked. Then both of us burst out laughing. <laughs> look, Scalacci. Look at the height of you. And then look at him. What do you say? How do you mean, says Scalacci. Look how dark you are. Your man gone out the door with a ginger when he had hair. 
could look at you. Scalacci goes quiet. He's thinking. I hug his shoulders. It's one of them things, me little flower. But he always treated me like a lady, your father. With that, the door bursts open and in he walks all grumpy. He looks like a man who had the last horse lose on a six-horse accumulator. What are you smiling at, he says. Nothing, I says. Scalacci nods at me. I look at him. Gives me that look. I nod back. Scalacci has something to tell you. I says. It can wait till after dinner, he says. No, it can't, says Galacci. What? No son of mine talks to me like that. I'm gay, says Galacci. He looks in disbelief. I'm gay, Galacci repeats. Y you can't be, he says. I am, says Galacci. The old bastard sits at the table, nearly flakes out. But the football and all the running around with other men. He stares at Scalacci. Scalacci stares back. A puffer, he says eventually. A bloody puffer. Well, I can tell you, you're no son of mine. You're not my son. No, he's not your son, I says. He's Mr. Bassanelli's son, the money lender. That's whose son he is. That's why I called him Scalacci. Where do you think I got the money for your fancy dinners, you dirty scumbag? He looks at me, his eyes all bulging, then he lets out an unmerciful scream. He picks up the chair, a heavy chair, and he runs towards me, his face all red. The veins on his neck bulging, I'm dead. Then his face changes and he collapses. It's all quiet for a moment. He doesn't move to get up. What's wrong with him, Scalacci says. He's got his comeuppance, I say, after a while. All his drinking has come against him at last. Ring an ambulance, Scalacci. Scalacci gets out his mobile phone and rings while I, God help me, I kneel down and hold his hand. Maybe I didn't love you. Remember that? Remember that song? Quite as often as I could have. Maybe I didn't treat you. Just briefly. Quite as good as... You'll be all right, you old bastard. I whisper to him, you'll be all right. The doctor at the A&E said he had a stroke brought on by stress. What was he doing before he collapsed, he asks. Trying to hit me with a chair, I says. Oh, he says. There won't be much of that from now on. We didn't get to him in time. If we'd given him the injection straight away, it might have been different. Still in intensive care, but he's conscious. Do you want to see him? Yes, I says. He looks at me. One eye droop, and he tries to speak, but it's gibberish. Only one side of his mouth seems to be working. He's paralysed on one side, said the doctor. At his age, I don't see him coming out of it. He'll be in a wheelchair, probably incontinent. It'll be a lot of looking after. Are you sure you'll be able? 
I don't know, I says. I'll arrange a home help, he says. She'll drop in once a day during the week to help change him. I can see the look on his face when the doctor says that. He is dying inside. All that anger and no way to vent it. He's like a volcano. I think he might have another stroke on the spot. We'll be keeping him in for another couple of weeks, but we need the bed, so you'll have to make other arrangements. I think about what he's saying. I think about abandoning him in the hospital car park. So what could anyone do about it? They'd probably stick him in a hostel somewhere. Only joking. No. He'll be coming home, but there'll be a lot of changes. I won't be wheeling him down to the pub every day, that's for sure. When I think about it, even though I'd be looking after him, I'm free. I can do or say what I like. There's nothing he can do about it and he won't be able to drink or gamble all the money. Control, at last, over my own life and over his. So he better behave. So what else can you do? Dad didn't look the best. I can't see him lasting the course. It's his own fault in the end. All the hard drinking and smoking and no exercise. Sure, he was a time bomb. Tony's a bit of a time bomb these days. He doesn't mind the cooking. He hadn't a clue at first, but he took to it like a duck to water. It's a cleaning up he's no good at. The place just be destroyed. He'd nearly use every pot in the place just to boil an egg, that fella. He really hasn't a clue. Mary says they're all like angry kids looking for a mother figure and someone to take their anger out on. She qualifies soon, but has been handing out free legal advice to a lot of the women. She's arranged barring orders for a few of them. They have their husbands out of the house. <laughs> they mostly done it for mental cruelty. That's a good one. Tony just be driving me mad with his moping about the place. Still, I think he'd just be too tired to be mentally cruel. The lazy bastard. Always saying he's tired. I'm tired of listening to him. He's always complaining about that job. He's nearly a manager now. I'm always telling him to go for it. But he says he's happier where he is. Happier for all his complaining. I don't know what to make of him. I'd be exhausted listening to him. I'm fecked if he thinks I'm going to have sex with him and him moaning him year all the time. I'm gone off it anyway. He says we should see someone about it. It might help. I told him if he mentions our sex life to anyone, it'll be a sorry day for him. He says, how? Sure, we're not doing it anyway. He's like a moany kid. I don't know why I put up with him. My course is going good. I'm top of the class like Mary. But now we're doing psychology and that's proven really difficult. I was thinking of dropping out, but Mary talked me out of it. She can be very persuasive, can Mary? She got rid of her husband years ago. I look at him and his saggy belly. He really should go to the gym. I'm too tired, he does say. Too tired, me arse. He doesn't be too tired when he's moving up beside me in bed, putting his arm around me. I just throw it off. 
Tell him I'm too tired now. It's bedtime. He moves off in a huff. Fucking baby. He's taken to texting me now. About work or meals. I tell him not to be texting me. He's boring. He says I never tell that one Mary not to be texting me. That I always have time for her. That's different though. Mary's a bit of a laugh. Not like old grumpy pants. Emma's always making excuses for him. Says I'm too hard on him. To be careful or I might lose me man. Lose him? If only I could, I told her. He's not just a meal ticket, she says. That's a good one coming from her. She's always getting money from him. She's the apple of his eye. She's getting big and bold. She'll be out in nightclubs on school nights. She'd want to get her head down and study. Says she doesn't want to go to college. She wants to do a beautician course. We'll see about that. I don't believe it. Now I know what Victor Meldrew meant. Either I move out or she'll leave with Emma. Hobson's choice. An abusive husband. All I said was that I didn't think they were going to give her a job in the Labour Court or the unions. And I know. She should give up the studying and get a job. It's that crowd she fell in with. I was never good enough for her after she met them. All she's interested in is finances. Oh, so much for socialism. She's looking for a good chunk of my wages and now I've nowhere to live. Fick. I didn't see this coming. The solicitor says they usually find judgment in favour of the women, so there'll be no point in going to court, but this is ridiculous. Legal separation. Collect me stuff tomorrow. File for the sale of the house, but you won't get much. The solicitor is useless. I'll see if I can stay at my brother tonight. It's either that or a bed and breakfast. If only man the hour still alive. We could move in with them for a while. I've got to think. I need a point now. Got to keep me head clear. The citizen's advice aren't much use. Your one said I could put my name on the housing list and look for a hostel. The man said if I wasn't working it'd be different. I wouldn't have to pay her anything except five euro per child which would get extra. But I'd still have to look for a hostel. He said there were lone parents groups and the local men's groups, but not much else. I have to go back to work on Monday. The brother said that a mate of his is selling a caravan cheap. I could move it into his driveway and stay as long as I like. He said he'd had a chat with me, Jobs Credit Union, and they were very sympathetic. Besides, it was only 500 quid. Thank God for Dave. I'd be mad to give up that job and go on the dole. Even if I did get to pay the bitch nothing. How would I pay with a caravan? I'd never mind that. What would I do all day? Go down the park and feed the pigeons in the cold and the rain? No way. I feel like a spare in Dave's front room. I can't focus on the telly and Dave's wife keeps repeating abusive husband under her breath. All they watch after the news is the soaps. Well, she does anyway and she rules the telly. Same as my house. Well, it used to be my house. All the money I put into that all them years. And now it ends up whores. I'm mostly whores. I'll have to get a second opinion, but it's not looking good. The men's group is on tonight. 
men's group. I wonder what that's all about. Probably men talking about their feelings. Ah, feck it. I can't stay here. The men's group is in a local community centre behind a stage in a hall. We hold an official meeting with an agenda and all. Then we get down to the real business. The leader, Mick, asks what we really would like to do. We all look at one another. I don't want to say anything and wait for the others to speak. No one does. Mick said he's organised a weekend away in a hostel in the mountains. Fresh air and home cooking. There's a kitchen there, so he's organised a cookery course given by one of the lads who used to be a chef. Handy dinners. Nothing complicated. Well, this sounds good. I like home cooking and everyone could do with a few pointers. He also said we were going to do a session on crying. Crying? He asked just when was the last time we cried? None of us can remember. Although I've felt like it plenty of times in the last week. But I always stop myself. It's tea and biscuit time. Mick asks how I'm finding it. I tell him it's a bit different. He asks me what brings me down tonight. I tell him I'm recently separated. He says he could tell. Most of them nod. He asks what age is the youngest and I tell him I'm only the one. Emma. She's 17. He says, whatever I do, don't sell the house till she's 18. Otherwise, I'll be screwed. I know, I said. I've been left with nothing. Ain't we all, said one of them. If you wait till the youngest is 18, you'll get half the house and your wife will have to get a job. What's she doing at the moment? I tell them she's finishing her studies in industrial relations. Very hard to get a job at that, they say. She'd probably end up a waitress or working in a shop. That's what happened to my wife, one says. Can't blame her, I suppose. What's your voice? How would you mean? I ask. I was drinking all the money. Me too, says another one. Mine was gambling, says another. I handed up everything, I tell them. She asked me to go because I didn't support her career move. Seems I'm an abusive husband. You're unlucky, says Mick. It's hard to get a good solicitor. The courts always rule in favour of the women. They get to keep the kids. How are you for access? Well, she's 17 now, I say. She can make up her own mind. We can help you with that, says Mick. It's not as easy as you think. How are you for somewhere to live? I tell him about the caravan. Places to stay are hard to find. I'd stay put if I were you until it's time to force the sale of the house. It sounds so final. I can see a lonely road ahead. Maybe that's why they all come down here. They're all lonely. Oh, I wonder if I should top myself now. A lot of guys think of topping themselves in the beginning, says Mick. I look at him. How did he know? You just have to work through it. Find your inner self, your inner strength. Remember what you were like before you got married, before you met her. Reconnect with those dreams you once had. We all talk for a long time. 
I'm exhausted from all the tea and talking when I get back to the caravan. I go straight to bed. I feel numb. I don't know what to think. I don't feel as angry or as worried. I think I'll go back again. I wonder what the weekend away would be like. Monday morning. I go into work. I'm not in the mood for this. Maybe I should have took another week off. The boss calls me in. Says we're busy. There's a lot of orders to be filled. But I'm to relax. Take it easy. Any problems, go to him. Says he's sorry to hear about our situation. Saw us both grow up together. I tell him thanks and head out. In a way, I'm glad I'm busy. Keep me mind off things. Got to try and forget for a while. Have a look at the orders. Take up a cutter. I don't have to cut anymore, but it feels good. Give the lads a hand out. We all talk about football as we work. It's good to be back. Dad came up today. I was getting ready to go out to a club. He was coughing a lot. Nasty chest infection. Says it's very damp and cold in the caravan. He hands me my present. A 500 euro voucher for BTS. Then he gives me my other present. Some news. You're 18 today, he says. I can't live in that caravan forever. House prices are sky high now and the mortgage is finished. And if we sell the house, we'll both have deposits for apartments and you can live between us. We'll all be very comfortable. He stared at me for my reaction. He could see I was upset. But I grew up here, I say. I lived here all my married life, he says. But we all have to move on. I can't do another winter in that caravan. What kind of birthday present is this? You better go, I tell him. He says sorry and tells me he loves me. Oh, I tell him I love him too. We hug. He leaves with moist eyes. I'm nearly too upset to go to the club. It'll take me mind off it. The girls are mad. They love the shots and the cocktails. I just have two cocktails and stay away from the shots. It's exam year, but I'm not too pushed. I don't want to go to college. And Dad said he'd pay for the beautician course. The club is legend. But the girl to fella ratio is too high. The bouncers don't let the fellas in. Over 21s, they say. I've been coming here since I was 15. I love the oldies. The dance and disco hits of the late 80s. Stuff me mar and dad listen to. One of the girls thinks she's pregnant. She's always going off with different fellas and always thinks she's pregnant. She's a panicker. She's on the pill and uses condoms and she still worries. I like the more mature man. Someone with experience and a good sense of humour doesn't go amiss. Most of them in here are kids and a lot of the older ones are married. I keep away from the married ones. Although you can never tell. Scalacci just sussed them out. 
He's me gay uncle and a good judge of men. He's queen of the dance floor and is an institution in the club. He's very wise and a total charmer. Sometimes I wish I could come back as a gay man. I'd be so colourful and arty and have lots of female confidants. I sip me cocktail and try to forget I'm going to be homeless. It's raining outside. I don't feel great. Cramps and tension. I don't want to go to school. The exam preparation is a pain in the arse. I eat me muesli. I know what you're thinking. She says you have to go in. It's exam year. You won't get into college if you don't study. But you don't need your leaving to be a beautician, I tell her. She loses it. She howls and she rants. And then she sits down and lights a cigarette. I've never seen her smoke before. Starts coughing. You have to go to college, she says. Why, I say. Mary says that if you're in college, he can't force the sale of the house till you're 23. That gives us another five years in the house and he might sell. I'm not having that Mary one run my life like she runs yours, I tell her. What do you mean settle? Tony will be desperate for money living in that little caravan and he might settle for a pittance which I could remortgage for over a very long term. And where would he live? I ask her. Who cares? And it could give me more time to look for a job in the Labour Court or the Union. Did Mary tell you all this? She looks at me. Do you not think he's entitled to half? After all, he did pay for it. Our hands start shaking. If he forces the sale of the house, we'll have to move into a tiny apartment in a really rough area and I'll be forced to get a job, probably as a cleaner. I've no qualifications and you'll be homeless and I can tell you, you won't be moving in with me if you don't go to college. Did Mary tell you to say that? She looks at me through a cloud of smoke. Da says it's impossible to get a job in the Labour Court, that they're all political appointments. Did Mary not tell you that? <laughs> Your dad would say that. He never supported me in my education. Is that right? Never supported you while he slaved away night and day to put a roof over our heads. I was talking to my career guidance officer. About beauticians, she asks. No, I tell her. About the Labour Court. And he says that they're all political appointments too. She looks at me, stunt. Does Mary smoke? I ask as I head out the door. I don't go into school today. I head into town on the bus. I never mitched before. Lots of me friends mitch, but I usually just go sick. I head up Grafton Street towards St Stephen's Green. I sit and watch the ducks. Even though it's early, there's plenty of people watching the ducks. Mostly old people or other kids on the mitch. I see Amy. She has her uniform on. I call out. She smiles and comes over. We hug. I need a hug. The rain starts again. We shelter. What are we going to do all day in this weather? I have two tickets for the IFI, Amy says. Where did you get them? I ask. I won them, she says. Or at least me dad won them and I nicked them on him. How much have you got? We pool our money. 15 euro. Not bad. We head down to the IFI. The smell of chocolate brownies and coffee permeates the air. Amy puts on an accent. Tries to sound sophisticated. She orders two hot chocolates. Do you want marshmallows with that? Of course I do, says Amy. I want everything. He smiles. He's only gorgeous. Brazilian, I'd say. He's very friendly. We ask him where he's from. Brazil? I was right. We chaff our ages. 
Amy asks him out. I have a girlfriend, he says. I don't mind, says Amy. I can be your bit on the site. He laughs. You crazy Irish girls. I, Daniel Blake, is on. Daniel Blake reminds me of Da. It's an interesting film, but very sad. He dies in the end, trying to get what he's entitled to. I think of me dad dying alone in that caravan. I can feel tears forming. Amy wants to head to Dr Quirky's, but I tell her I want to visit me dad. She says she'll see me and I get the bus up to the factory. I head into his boss, Tommy. He knows me well. We call him Uncle Tommy. He's not here, he tells me, rang in sick. Not like him. Never misses a day. I head over to Uncle Dave's. I knock on the caravan door. The rain gets heavy. It's open, he croaks. I go in. The drumming of the rain on the roof is deafening. He's hauled up in bed with a mug of lemsip. His nose is blocked and his voice is hoarse and he looks miserable. He smiles at me through bloodshot eyes. The caravan is damp and smells of food and dirty washing. You can't sell the house, I tell him. I can't stay here forever, he says. I'm making your favour today. Lasagna? His eyes light up. Why don't you drop up? I'm not supposed to, he says. I'm inviting you, I say. Haven't had a good home meal in a while. Are you sure it'd be okay? Of course. Ma comes in. She's quiet. She looks down in the dumps and exhausted. I invited Dar up for dinner. She looks at me. She looks like she doesn't know what to think. I'm cooking, I tell her. It's lasagna. He'll love that, she says moodily. I'm heading up for a shower. I take out the mints. It's still a bit frozen. I'll have to wait. I look out the window. The rain starts bucketing down. It's really heavy. I can see the drops bounce as they hit the ground. There's some old guy out in it making his way down the road. It's Da. I run out to the door. Come on, I call. He does an old man run. The rain pours out of his hair and runs down his nose. He makes a pool on the floor. Ma comes down toweling her hair. They look at one another. They look like two kids who know they've been bald. You're like a drowned rat, she says. He lets out a big hoarse cough. Go on up and jump in that shower, she says. I've nothing to wear, he says. You can put on that tracksuit you bought me. The one I never wore. The lemon one, he asks. The canary yellow one, she says. Made me look like a banana. He stifles a laugh. I can see a smile breaking out on her face. He sneezes. Go on up, she says. I'll bring you up a lemsip before you give us all your man flu. He looks grateful. He goes up. I turn on the radio. An oldie place. She pays attention as she sits at the kitchen table with a cup of tea. She lights up a cigarette then stubs it out. She hums along to the tune. She looks a bit worried. A bit ashamed. He doesn't seem to be doing so well on his own, she says. 
It's that caravan, I tell her. She refills the kettle and takes the lemsips from the press. She's quiet, like she's thinking. I throw the mince on the pan with a jar of sauce. The kettle quickly boils. She takes out his Chelsea mug, his favourite mug, pours in the powder and half fills it with water. And she takes his old furry hot water bottle now. He always used it if his chest was happening. I saw her snuggling up to it a few times when she got rid of him first. The sauce on the pan starts bubbling. I'll just bring this up, she says. I like to leave the lasagna in the oven at a low to medium heat so the meat sauce permeates the pasta. That's my secret. That's why he loves it. They're very quiet upstairs. I go up to tell them it's nearly ready and they're nowhere to be seen. I quietly push open the bedroom door. He lies in bed on his back in the yellow tracksuit snoring. She lies beside him with her arm lying on his belly. They're both out cold and fully dressed. I wouldn't say anything naughty happened. Still, it's a start. I decide rest is more important than food. I quietly close the door. That was Mixed Future by Arthur Sheridan, winner of second prize in the 2022 PJ O'Connor Awards. Claire Dunn played Pauline. Angeline Ball played Monica. Stephen Jones played Tony. And Lauren Larkin played Emma. The dramaturg was Jesper Bergman. The original percussion score was by Robbie Harris. Sound design and supervision were by Ruth Kennington. Mixed Future by Arthur Sheridan was directed by Jessica Drumgool. The producer for RTE was Kevin Brew. The series producer of Drama on One is Kevin Reynolds. If you've been affected by the issues raised in the programme and you'd like to talk to someone, you can find information and links at rte.ie forward slash support. To listen back to Mixed Future and hundreds more dramas via the Drama on One podcast, go to rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Special thanks to our volunteers for crowd scenes. George Asafu Ajay, Jake Cusworth, Jamie Doyle, Hugh Fowler, Siobhan Hawk, Emily Hurley, Ellen Leonard, Tristan Rosenstock and Goretti Slaven. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Next, in the wings, and in this edition of the programme, writer-performer Katie Honan and actor Jamie Beamish tell us about Katie's play Hurl, which is next week's Drama on One. My name is Katie Honan. The name of the play is Hurl. My name is Jamie Beamish and I play a couple of parts. I play the part of Noel O'Brien, star Hurler, and I also play Dino, who's a, a, a friend of Janet's. 
Hurl is about a mother and daughter relationship that is slightly strained. They don't have great communication skills and through connecting, through hurling, they manage to find a way to communicate with one another better. That's what's great about this play. And when I got it, I was kind of, oh, that's brilliant. You know, a Waterford story and hearing Waterford voices because we don't really hear them a lot. And, you know, when you think of plays and radio drama and everything like that, a lot of it, you know, could be Dublin centric or maybe the West or Cork and so on. And, you know, I'm from Waterford. It's a vibrant place and there's lots going on. So it's great to be able to to do something in my own accent and even you know put on the accent even more. Where I got the idea for Hurl was that in my 20s I started going to hurling matches for the first time and I was really taken aback by the whole culture and spectacle of the event. The travelling on the bus, the going to the pub beforehand and then of course the match itself. So kind of being a fly in the wall in my 20s it felt like was just something that inspired me to write the play. Do you know what? Uh, yeah, me, me uncle was a very good hurler and he used to bring me to play by pitch Dela Salle was the club and I went up for a little bit when I was about you know seven or eight and early on other lads they, you didn't have to wear a helmet at the time but I was wearing a helmet and other lads weren't and I took it off and I got a smack of a hurley in the head and I could feel my brain rattling against, against the skull and I'm like I'm not going back you know and that was it and it's gas and I follow hurling a lot I'm a big fan it was a great thing because I've lived in England for a long time and it was a great time and we've had great times all the Waterford lads getting together all the Waterford actors getting together and going watching hurling matches in a pub in Camden in the Sheephaven Bay and we had we, we, we great times and the Waterford hurlers gave us great days out and stuff so I love it playing it myself though Oh, I'm, I'm, they're, they're, they're tough men they're, they're hard men a fair play to them no no hurlers uh, in my family but my dad is a Clare man so although the play is about Waterford hurling he has a Clare support coming from his end Writer, performer Katie Honan and actor Jamie Beamish there who were talking about Katie's play Hurl, which is next week's Drama on One. In the Wings is produced by Kevin Reynolds. To listen back to the complete edition of that In the Wings and the complete Drama on One podcast archive, go to rte.ie forward slash drama on one. rte.ie forward slash drama on one.